if you are if you're new with us or you haven't been here in several weeks, uh, we are currently kind of just doing a mini series type of thing. We're kind of walking through the Psalms, uh, covering various topics. And one of the topics that I've been kind of covering, I, I covered this last week as well, was talking about how to tr really trusting God's will. Right, trusting God's will. Last week when I covered Psalm 23, I emphasized that the reason why we can trust in God's will from Psalm 23 is because of who He is. Right? God is our great shepherd. God is our great king. He, we can trust in God. We can trust in His will because we can trust in God. His character is trustworthy. Tonight, I want us to zoom in and touch upon not just why we can trust in God's will, but about how, how we can trust in God's will. How should we do it? And the answer is not a step-to-step -step wiki how. Like, you know, we're not going to Google something and be like, how to trust in God's will. You're going to get like this great plan to, to kind of lay out day by day. The answer is actually quite simpler than that. Simpler and yet in a way tougher. In John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says to his sheep, he says, my sheep, Hears my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, how we trust in God's will is simply by listening to the voice of God. We listen to the voice of God, and this, this voice of God is not, not necessarily an audible voice per se, but it is a legible voice, a voice that's recorded and found in the Word of God, in what we have before us, whether it's on your phones or in, in physical form before you. We have the Word of God, and this is indeed the voice of God. If we want to know how to trust in God, we have to first come to understand the Word of God. And I, I know, reading and studying the Word of God is not easy. Right. Sorry, I have a cough drop in my mouth. <laughs> no. um, but... Yes, so speaking's not easy. All right. Um, in any case, reading, reading, and studying God's word is not easy. All right. We, we get we get tired. Right. We get tired. We have where we're busy with you know the daily demands of life. We are constantly distracted. Right. Our eyes are you know we we, we twitch back and forth between you know one thing to another. Our minds, especially for those of you guys who are studying really hard, your minds can feel scattered. It's just really hard to focus on something, right? It takes a lot of energy just to zoom in and focus on Scripture, perhaps. And yet, I think it's because we're in such a world, when we're in such a time, where this world is full of heavy burdens, where we're in constant distractions, where, and, and we're, we're constantly being pushed to the brink of our, our sanity. I think it's because we're in such a world that I, I think we, we need to clean ever more closer to God's word, right? And in the time when we're feeling tired, when we're feeling unsatisfied, when we're feeling lost, I think we need to come back to hear the voice of our shepherd. And so the word I'm going to look for, the word I'm going to focus in on here in this message, is upon the word resolve. I believe we need to have a resolve here in this time in this age we need to have a resolve to follow god's word and so then what does that resolve look like 
Take your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we're going to be looking at verses 105 to 112. Um, just a note, as you guys know, Psalm 119, one longest psalms, longest chapter in the Bible, it contains the most verses. And interestingly enough, right, the largest chapter in the Bible is about the Word of God itself. I mean, it shows us just how central the Word of God is to the Christian walk. If you guys have never read Psalm 119 before, let me just give you a quick rundown. We're not going to go through all, what was it, like 100-something verses. We're going to go through a small section, but Psalm 119 is an acrostic psalm, meaning it's broken up into 22 stanzas, all right? Each stanza starting with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So that's, I don't know if your Bible has it, but if you, in the beginning of Psalm 119, right before verse 1, it says Aleph, right? That's the A alphabet, A, the first alphabet of the Hebrew, of the Hebrew alphabet, the first letter, sorry. Um, and so, and so we're going to be studying noon, which is, I don't know, N, if you want to do some kind of translation to English. It's not direct translation. Um, but we're looking at noon after the meaning each verse in this stanza, each verse in verses 105 to 112 in the Hebrew actually starts with that letter noon. So that's why it's, that's how this psalm is broken up. Now each stanza doesn't just, it, it doesn't just repeat itself about the word of God. It actually focuses upon a theme, a meditation about why the word of God is important. It's actually really applicable. There's so many different themes here about why the Word of God should engage in our lives in so many different ways. Each one of these stanzas focuses upon a different theme. And so here in Psalm 119, verse 105 to 112, the noon stanza, where the theme here is a focus upon the resolve to follow God's Word. And so let's read the song. Psalm 119, starting with verse 105. It says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. So here, to start off with, we're going to see a committed resolve. A committed resolve to follow the word of God. In verse 105, to start start this off, excuse me, I need to swallow this. <laughs> uh, in verse 105, to start this off, the psalmist here, he compares the word of God to a lamp and a light. Right? Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, the, in the Hebrew, actually, it's, it's, it's literally translated this way in this word order. It says, a lamp to my feet is your word and a light to my path. And you see here this, Kind of this, how your word is actually in the cent, in the middle of the sentence, in the middle of that line, focusing on the centerness, the central part of God's word. The point is that God's word should be the center of our lives. It indeed is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. And the metaphor here assumes that without God's word, the psalmist here will be stuck in darkness. Right? 
Why else would you need a light? Why else do you need a flashlight or a lamp? The psalmist here is stuck in darkness. And he is lost. He's directionless. Have you ever been in a place so dark where you don't even have any moons, any stars to kind of give you some dim light? You just you can't see. You don't know which way you're facing. He's, the psalmist is lost in directionless without God's word. And the reality is that in this world, we often feel this way. Don't we? We often feel like we're crawling through darkness. None of us you know, really know what tomorrow holds. Right? We, 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 can't, we can imagine, we can think, we can plan. right? Like tomorrow, I'm thinking I'm going to meet up with someone over lunch. I have worship practice in the morning. But who knows how things are going to turn out, right? It's not we don't know what tomorrow holds. We have, we have goals, but we don't really know which way to take the first step. And more than that, this, this world is constantly stretching us, right? Stretching us in so many different ways, like a fruit roll-up, just pulling us, right? And we're just being stretched out. And, and we're pulled in so many diff- different directions, care about so many different things. We, we need to care about our schooling. We need to care about our politics. We need to care about our environment. We need to care about the animals, care about the future of the next generation. We need to care about all these different things. And we're, we're constantly being weighed down in that sense. But we're also kind of feel like we're, we can feel lost simply because we ourselves get lost in our own emotions. We get clouded in our judgments when we are stuck in the waves of our own emotions, right? I mean, you go through bad days, you go through good days. Some days, some days you you feel like you can't find the energy to get out of bed. Other days, you're so agitated, you just can't sit still. Some days, you want to go socialize and meet friends and hang out with them. Other days, you just want to be recluse and stay at home and just be in bed. And we're constantly going through these different things. And, and so the question is, how, how do you understand the direction of your own life? And where are you going? You see, this is one reason why when we talk about something like trusting God's will, we're always seeking for God's will in our lives, don't we? Uh, we, we wish that God would just simply tell us, hey, this is what I want you to do. Go do it now. Just, and it's like, God, just, just give me the directions and let me lay it out clear for me step by step. And I'll, and I'll follow it. When we wish God would sometimes just give us these things, these steps. I want you guys to note that when we ask, sometimes when we ask, you know, how do we trust in God's will? What God, what is your will for us? Just, just think for a moment, perhaps, really how selfish sometimes that question may be. Because, you know, at the heart of that question, if we're being honest, if we're asking for God's will in our life, really what we're asking for God is, God, will you just help me get out of this situation? Will you just help me just, just get past this? Just, just resolve it for me? And you see the focus here sometimes. It's really just about you. And oftentimes we can approach God's word in this way. We approach God's word seeking answers. To how, how to make our lives better. But you see God's word. God's word. It does, it does make our lives better, right? God's word does improve our lives, but not in the way we think. God, in his word, 
he tells us that when we are, if we are to improve our lives, it's not when we seek our happiness. God's word improves our lives when we seek to glorify God. And I think that's important for us to understand. I'll come back to this later on in the sermon, so just kind of highlight that, just understand that. God's word tells us that our lives improve not when we seek our own happiness, but when we seek to glorify God. And I'll explain more as the sermon goes along. But as we see here in these first two verses of Psalm of, of 105, 106 here, God's word, it, it shines a light to our path, not because, not because it shows us, you know, how to change the oil in our car or because it shows us how to graduate from college, shows us how to get, get a job. God's word doesn't tell us how to ask a girl out. God's word here, it shines a light upon our path because it shows us the way back to our shepherd. It shows us our way back to our shepherd. That's why God's word here is a guide. It's a guide. It's the voice of our shepherd calling us back to him, calling us to follow him. I mean, it, last week when I talked about being shepherd and that we're sheep, and I mentioned we, sheep is dumb, right? But sheep also, I was just, just kind of doing more studies about sheep, right? Uh, apparently their eyesight, right? They, their eyesight, they, they actually, they're inter it's interesting. They have near 360 degree vision. All right, so they can see all around them. They have a, a breath of what's going on around them. But here's the problem. They can see what's around them, but they can't focus on what's in front of them. Right? And so they, they kind of, in a sense, walk blindly, which is why probably that sheep walked back into that ditch in that video I showed, right? They're, they're, they're walking blindly. They don't really know where they're going. So what sheep need is they need a guide. Right? They can see all around them, so they can constantly get distracted by movement, but they can't focus on where they're going. And so they need a guide, not by their eyes, but they need a guide through their ears. They need a guide through their ears, meaning they need a shepherd to tell them which direction to head towards. We see here in verse 106. In verse 106, the psalmist here, tells us that he has sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. God's word gives us clear direction, not by showing us the way, but by calling us, by directing us. Right? He doesn't simply show you the rest of your life, but he says, follow me. To truly follow God's word, you need to trust the voice of your speaker. You need to trust the voice of your speaker, just the same way as sheep trust the voice of his shepherd. You have to commit yourself to it. <clears throat> commit yourself to it, to not be distracted by what's around you, but simply to, to narrow your vision, to tune your ears, to hear the voice of God. Uh, the, in, Psalm, in verse 106 here, the psalmist, there's this phrase, I've sworn an oath and confirmed it. It's emphatic in the Hebrew. The verse is literally saying, I have undertaken a solemn oath. The idea here is that the psalmist is committed. He's committed to his resolve to follow God's word. And the, the, the word here, righteous rules, to keep your righteous rules, isn't just about regulations or boundaries. It's not a board game, all right? This is talking about making righteous decisions, about making the right choices. And so to commit yourself then to God's word is to commit yourself 
Not just to hear his voice, but to obey it. Obey it and step in the right direction towards your shepherd to follow him. And so we see here a committed resolve. Next then we see that your resolve to follow God's word must also be filled with humility. You must have a humble resolve. In verse 27, the psalmist here tells us his situation. He is severely afflicted. And he's actually mentioned this multiple times throughout Psalm 119. And, and so we see here that the psalmist, his context isn't a comfortable one, right? He's not telling us that he's following God's word and life is great. But he's telling us he's seeking to follow God's word, but his life, man, he's in pain. He's in danger. He's in turmoil. He's distressed, conflicted. The psalmist's life, he's not in a good place right now. Now, we're, we might not have enemies like the psalmist. I mean, you might not have enemies like the psalmist. I don't know. Some of you guys might. I don't know. But I'm going to suspect we don't have enemies like the psalmist. And so don't focus on that. Because, you know, sometimes we get too caught up in trying to find people who match our situation. And one of the things I get annoyed of is when we're always trying to find someone who's, like, relatable to us. And that's the people, because we just, and that's the people we want to go either hang out with. Or that's the people we want them to mentor us or counsel us. I, I don't think we need to get too caught with that. Instead, we need to recognize this universal truth here. The universal truth, no matter what context we're in. And the universal truth is this, is that whenever anyone goes through trials, whenever you go through trials, you end up feeling weak, lost, and helpless to fix the situation. You see, trials, no matter what kind of trials it is, brings about similar kinds of emotions within all of us. It's an awareness of our weaknesses, awareness of our helplessness to fix the situation. See, all of us, right, all of us, when we go through tough times, what is the most common response when someone's going through a situation and there seems to be nothing they can do to fix it? What do they end up doing? They end up getting on their knees and praying because they don't know, they have nothing else to go to. They're helpless. It's why so many people, no matter what, no matter even what context, what religion, one of the default answers when you're stuck is to get on your knees and pray. And that's what the psalmist here does. Right? He says, I am severely afflicted, and he goes to God in prayer. He says, give me life, O Lord. Accept my free will offerings, O Lord, and teach me your rules. He cries out to God. And in this prayer to God, the psalmist here demonstrates an understanding that true life, right, true life, he says, give me life, revive me. True life here, truly living the right way, begins with what? Begins with his word. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. You see, it's not just God accepting you as who you are, but it is you learning, conforming yourself to God. In his word. And so when we talk about resolve, a resolve to follow God isn't a resolve necessarily that comes from your own personal strength. It isn't necessarily that we you're able to study literature, you're a literature major, you can just you can figure out God's word and what it's saying. You, you don't need to have any kind of you know IQ level or anything. God's word here, your resolve to follow God's word starts with a humble acceptance that you are weak without God. 
you recognize you're weak. And so you approach God's word of humility. There's a humble resolve to this. You see, you need God's word to truly live. And that's what you're recognizing here. That you need God's word to truly live. Come on, guys, just take a seat anywhere. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. We notice, we notice that as we hear it all the time. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by what? By every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, to truly live as a believer requires you to chew upon God's word, to, to, to depend upon it, to live upon it, to say that I, I can't do anything else but to, but to have it, to have it in my life. Without it, I'm lost. Without it, I'm crippled. A humble resolve is one that recognizes you need God's word to truly live. And so perhaps then if when you're stuck in a, in a rut somewhere and you're seeking God's will, you're seeking him out, you're trying to figure out what to do, perhaps your first request to God shouldn't be to ask for answers. It's not what, this is not what the psalmist here is doing. Perhaps your first request to God when you're in a sticky situation is to be a humble submission. A humble submission in your time of weakness to come before God and ask Him to revive you. To ask Him to revive you according to His word, to accept you as who you are, and to teach you His ways. You see, it's about not finding hope in this world, but to find hope in God alone. And so perhaps then your trials, when you're going through difficult trials, and you're trying to figure out God's will for your life, perhaps your trials is less about finding answers in your life. Perhaps your trials are more about humbling your heart to come before God, to recognize you need His Word in your life. And it's only when we are humble to our lowest point, only then can we truly cling to God with a certain kind of resolve, which is our next point, an unwavering resolve. Right? You're unwavering when you recognize God and His Word is the only diet you can survive on. That means that's all you can do. You just you can only consume God's word. I mean, note here how how resolved, how unwavering the psalmist is here in verse in verse one hundred nine and one ten. Right? He says here, "I hold my life in my hand continually." He's saying here, "This is imagery here." Imagine him holding his life in his hand, open palm, open hand, and it's it's vulnerable. It's out there, right? If you want to. If you don't like the psalmist, this is an opportunity to just take a knife and just stab it and twist it. It's in his hands, right? His life is vulnerable. Yet, he says, I do not forget your law. 110. The wicked have laid a snare for me. He, they, they would lay a trap. Literally, the, the word snare here is a bird trap, right? How do you trap an animal? You put bait in it to tempt it, right? The psalmist is saying here that he will not give notice to the temptations around him, but instead he will stay focused upon listening to God's voice, to listening to his word. And so he's avoiding temptation, avoiding the temptation of the world around to seek answers and escape, but instead he's focused upon God's word. He says here, I do not stray from your precepts. And so when all around you, 
when all around you, you feel like you're being bombarded by temptations, you're being bombarded by things that are pulling you, saying you should do this, you should do that, and you're being lost and helpless, you're feeling vulnerable. When your strength fails, God is telling you here, trust in me, follow me. I mean, how often has it been that when we rely upon our own strength or we get caught up by listening some, to the advice of others, and I'm pretty sure others give you advice, well-meaning, but you just you, you take it and you just run the full mile of it. How many times have that led us, lead us astray? Lead us down a path towards misery or doesn't do anything to our situation? We need to trust here in God. Trust, come back to His voice, to listen to Him. To not be distracted by all the things that's going around us, but to have an unwavering confidence that the voice of our shepherd comes from a good man who cares about us. But there then comes in question, right? We have this word. Many of you guys have grown up with scripture around you. Many of you guys have read through scripture. But why? Why can you trust this? Why are you able to trust God's word? Why should we trust it? I mean, we're being honest to ourselves. There are many times when we're going through hardships, it doesn't seem like God's word can do anything for us, right? It doesn't seem like it can do much when we're feeling weak. I mean, how many times have we read through, I don't know, Psalm 23 or John 3.16, and we're, we're, we're repeating these verses in our heads until it gets old and meaningless. How many times have we done that and we feel like there's nothing that happens? How many times when you guys have felt lost? And you're just trying to figure out, okay, let's open up God's Word. You open up to a passage, you're reading it, and you're just like, I don't know, it's not doing anything for me. The problem in those situations is not God's Word. The problem is how you approach God's Word. Focus in upon your heart. What are you looking for when you open up God's Word? Remember what I mentioned before. I said that God's word improves your life because it shows you how to glorify him. You see, God's word isn't like a magic potion you drink. It's not like, like the Mario star that makes you invincible. right? You can't just take it and suddenly you can resist every temptation Satan throws your way. Right? But God's word, he does say it never fails. Right, Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. How does God's word stand? How does God's word endure? How does God? How is God's word un unwavering? God's word never fails because through God's word, God brings glory to his name. He brings glory to his name. He makes his name known to his people and his glory will shine across the earth. Nothing will get in the way of the glory of God. This is what God's word does. This is the power of God's word. The connection here is this. If God, when the glory of God becomes our heart's desire, when we see God in all his beauty and all his majesty and magnificence, and we say, this is what I want. And God's word is what reveals that to us. When we then, when we approach God's word, we see it. We see that God's word gives us then how his glory will be made known. And that gives us confidence. 
an unwavering resolve because that's what God's word does. And see, it comes down to how you approach God's word. What are you going to it for? Why do you open up his word? What are you looking for? What does your heart desire? When your heart desires God's glory, we get that. We get God's glory when we cling to his word because that's what his word does. We will see God glorified through his word. Which then leads to the last two verses here in this psalm, which shows us here, sorry, shows us here a joyful resolve. A joyful resolve. It's God's word becomes our joy. Because it's through the word of God that God is glorified. We see here the psalmist says, Your testimonies are my heritage forever. Why? For they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Uh, the, another way to translate that the end, to the end is, is to say, the reward of it, the reward of following your word is eternal. It's this everlasting joy that never ends. God's word becomes our joy because through God's word, God is glorified. When God is glorified, we receive joy. We receive joy. I mean, think about that. That's essentially what worship is. Worship is our joyful delight in God's glory. <coughs> Sorry. I'll repeat that. Worship is our joyful delight in God's glory. When we worship God, it is indeed an emotional response to God, but it's an emotion of joy, of seeing God for who He is. And it's through His Word, God reveals who He is to us, and we see that. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16, says this, Your words were found, and I ate them. I consumed them. I, I chewed upon them. I swallowed them. I digest them. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and to the light of my heart. Why? Notice here why God's word became a joy and delight to Jeremiah's heart. For I am called by your name. It's for the glory of God. Called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. We see here, turf, we see here that God's word God's word is not just a bunch of laws or rules to obey. It's not just a feel-good story. It's not just a book full of good advice. God's word here, what it does, is it leads us back to know God more intimately. It leads us to enjoy Him more deeply. God's word brings us to behold the splendor of His majesty, the vastness of His sovereignty, the fearsomeness of His wrath, the strength of His patience the richness of His grace, and the breadth and depth of His love. But more importantly, God's Word leads us to Jesus Christ, our Shepherd. Turn with me to Second Peter. Second Peter, found in New Testament, towards the end. Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 16 to 21. 2 Peter, written by the Apostle Peter. And you remember the Apostle Peter was follow Christ for three years, right? Follow Christ was pretty much his right-hand man. 
Here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, this is what Peter says. He says, For we, talking about him and his fellow apostles, fellow teachers, for we did not follow clearly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter is saying, Hey, I, I preached to you the gospel of Christ. I showed you Christ. I showed you the power and the coming of Christ. And this did not come from clearly devised myths. I, we didn't make this up. Where does he get this? Where does, how does he know that Jesus Christ is full of power? How does he know that Jesus Christ is coming back again? It says here, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and a voice was born to him, the majestic glory, the voice says this, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In verse 18, We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him. On the holy mountain. Stop there. We see here Peter writes about the glory of Christ. That he himself witnessed the glory and majesty of God with his very own eyes. If you guys remember the story. Jesus took, separated from the twelve disciples, took up three with him. Right? Peter, James, and John. These three came up the mountain with him. And on that mountain, Jesus was transfigured. Meaning his true majesty and glory was revealed. And was shown to these three disciples. Jesus shined bright, and God the Father from heaven declared in an audible voice, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And at that moment of transfiguration, what happened? Well, Peter, James, and John, they didn't just think, Well, cool. All right, we got some light. Let me just, you know, start reading something here. Let me, you know, start roasting some marshmallows because, you know, perhaps it got really hot with the light. No, they fell to the ground. Right? They fell to their they fell on their knees. They were awestruck by what they just witnessed. They were humbled. They were convicted. At that moment, they understood that what they want in this world, what they thought they desire in this world, all of it is meaningless. You see, we wonder about so many different things when it comes to God's will. You know, we wonder. Who will we marry? We wonder whether we will find joy and happiness. Whether or not we'll have a comfortable life. Whether or not we'll find this job. We'll make more friends. But when we come before the glory of Christ. All that seems meaningless. Christ is the only thing that matters. You see nothing matters more than the glory of Christ. But keep reading with me here in 2 Peter. You see, even though he was an eyewitness, even though he was an eyewitness, this is what he says to the church. He tells the church that they have something more sure. Verse 19, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, he says, We have then the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to what? To pay attention to as to a lamp shining. In a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You see, Peter is saying that now you have this account of us telling you the gospel of Christ written down for you. The prophetic word now is fulfilled in Christ, and you know it. You see, it's written down for you. Pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. 
God's word, a lamp to your feet, a light upon your path. Pay attention to God's word. Why? Verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy, meaning of scripture, nothing written in scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It doesn't come from man. Verse 21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But then, where's, what, what, what is this? Whose will is this? It's God's will. It's been written here. It's produced by men who spoke from God. See, God's the one speaking through men, written, writing down his word, writing down his will as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This word here is God's will for us. We have this book, this Bible. It's not man-made. It's the very word of God. And in here, we have God's wisdom. We have God's plan. We have God's will for our lives. And his will is that we will come to know his son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior, as our shepherd. To see Jesus and his glory shine in us and through us. To make his name known through the church, through the preaching of his word. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Through his word, God shone lights into our hearts. He's shown lights into our heart to do what? To give light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where is this glory of God found? It says it here, it's found in the face of Jesus Christ. How then do you trust in God's will? Really, when you, when you think about this question, how do you trust in God's will? The question really needs to be, how do you approach God's word? How do you approach God's word? Do you come to God's word feeling like you have to? Feeling like you're just trying to seek some kind of answer, some kind of escape? And you just, you know, this is what people tell you you should do? Or do you approach God's word as a sheep who approaches his shepherd, knowing that this is the only way you can be fed. This is the only way you can drink water. This is the only way you can survive. This is the only way you can be found again and not lost in darkness. <coughs> you see, the apostle Peter, he understood this. He understood this. When, when, when Jesus was here on earth, many disciples followed him. And there was this time when Jesus turned to, turned to this crowd of disciples. He said something, and many of the disciples just left. And so at that moment, Jesus then turned to the 12 disciples. In John chapter 6, verse 27, he asked the 12 disciples, after all these other disciples had left him, turns to the 12, he asked them, Hey, do you want to go away as well? Peter as leader, as a spokesperson for disciples, for the twelve, he answers him, said this, James, oh sorry, not James, John chapter 6, verse 28, Lord, to whom shall we go? You, you, Jesus, have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What are the words of eternal life? Is the words of eternal life showed Peter and the disciples that Jesus is the Holy One of God. It's all about His glory. 
See, God's will is to display His glory to all creation. And that glory fills our satisfaction and our joy in. Our joy in God's glory is accomplished through the very word of God. Will you then resolve to follow God's word with commitment, with humility, with unwavering spirit and with joy? And in the midst of your trial, when you feel like you lost your way, will you hear the voice of your shepherd that is found in these very pages? When you're unsure of what to do with your life, you're unsure about the future, you're not sure what tomorrow holds, will you rest peacefully on the surety, the rock behind the words of your Lord? And so the big idea here is that trusting in God's will for your life begins with a wholehearted resolve to behold the glory of Christ through the obedience of His Word. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for bringing us here. Bring us here so that we can, Lord, hear Your Word. Hear Your Word and hear Your glory that's manifested in Your Word, that's displayed in Your Word, revealed through Your Word. And I pray, God, that God, we will behold that glory. And that, Lord, through your word, we will then see how your glory then becomes our satisfaction, becomes our joy. Lord, I pray for every single person here, wherever they're at, whether they're in college or they're, they're out of college. I <coughs> Excuse me. I pray, God, that you would just be with them. That, Lord, that they feel lost right now. They're, they're feeling just overwhelmed by the schoolwork, or they're just looking forward to vacation, to their break. I pray, God, that they would, wherever they're at, that they will cling to your word, that they will go to it to hear your voice, to know you more, to see, God, that how through your word, you, you speak to us and you care for us. And as through your word, we develop such a close relationship with you. And we come to know that you, Jesus, are indeed the Holy One of God. And so, Lord, let us then worship you in this way. Thank you, God, for bringing us all here together. I pray all this in your name. Amen.